Hi guys, I'm Marie. And I'm Maddie. And we are here today recording Lost in the Woods. We have some background noise today. Hopefully you guys can't hear it. It's in our garage, but it's there. Yep. So today's case is on Sven Urban Hogling, who went by Urban, and Heidi Pakinen. So 23-year-old Urban and 21-year-old Heidi would go missing while tramping through New Zealand in 1989. Urban was a big fan of tramping, or hiking as we call it here, along with hunting, and he was six feet tall and very athletic. Heidi had blonde hair and was slender and stood at about 5'9". Both had very blue eyes and matching engagement bands with each other's names engraved on them. The couple was from Sweden and they had purchased a 1976 Subaru wagon with pull bars on the front. They were traveling with two large backpacks, a green and yellow tent, sleeping bags, and other gear. They would make their way south, passing tourist stops such as Punakaiki, Fox Glacier, and Queenstown, and they would hike on the Coromandel Peninsula of New Zealand. They not only completed small hikes, but Heidi wrote home about one hike that took them five days to complete and covered 85 kilometers, which is almost 53 miles, which isn't too bad. I just did a 40-mile one in three days, so... That sounds terrible. Well, it was for some people, not for me. (laughs) By April, the couple headed north to explore Coromandel, which is on the east coast of the North Island, south of Auckland. A store clerk remembers seeing the pair on April 6th. They were asking for directions to Terra Creek Road, which was a dead-end road with a trail up to Table Mountain. And then they intended to hike into the valley and hitch a ride back to their car. So this would prevent them from having to double back and do the extra mileage. The couple planned to stop at Thames. And on April 7, they would both get haircuts where the hairdresser couldn't lower the chair enough because Urban was so tall and had to ask him to slouch down so that she could cut his hair. And she also remembered how blonde Heidi was. So kind of seems like a legitimate sighting of the couple. And this would be the last confirmed sighting of the couple. Heidi did send a letter home on this day, which makes sense because they're in town right now. Yeah. Also adding to the legitimacy of the sighting, I think. She wrote about how friendly the people were and said that if it weren't for the sand flies and wasps, that New Zealand would be the perfect country. I hear that. I kind of feel that way about here. (laughs) So the couple were expected home on May 7th, and when they didn't turn up, the families were not immediately concerned and assumed that the couple's plans had changed. But police were told to be on the lookout for the pair, even though their families weren't like, Super concerned, right? Yeah. By the 26th of May, so we're like 20 days after they're supposed to be home. hmm The New Zealand Herald ran a story about a car belonging to a Swedish couple that had been abandoned in Mount Eden on Wellington Street. 
The tires were flat, a window was smashed, and their belongings were gone. So the car had been parked there since the 14th of April, which was a week after the couple had last been seen. Right, and a police officer did spot the car with four men in it. But at that point, the car had not yet been reported stolen. Okay, so cars abandoned. A police officer saw the car with four men in it? Mm-hmm. Prior to it being abandoned in this spot. Okay. Like, he ran the plates of the car. Yeah, gotcha. Now, after the car is found, police realized that the couple had not boarded their flight home or any other flight, so their passports have not been used. And a special task force is actually set up, which is called Operation Stockholm, and would be led by Inspector John Hughes. A tip came in from a local farmer named Edward Cobert, who had found something in mid-April that might be connected to the case. He had found a luggage tag with the name Heidi Pakkanen on it. And when he found it, the name didn't mean anything to him. But after hearing her name on the news, he returned to where he had seen the name tag. And after a brief search, he found discarded plastic bags full of men and women's clothing. And he took them to the police station. He was told the police didn't believe that they belonged to the couple. And when he went back to pick them up, he was told that they had been destroyed. And not only that, but they also had never actually been tested. So the police are covering it up. It's a police cover-up. My guess is the police think this guy is trying to insert himself into the investigation and maybe didn't actually find anything belonging to the couple. Like, maybe it's a false tip. Hmm. Because he doesn't provide the luggage tag. He just remembers that he had seen it months before. I read somewhere in one article that there were... Like, some workout clothes in there, women's workout clothes. Um, but they didn't think that they were the right size to be Heidi's. And even that the crotch was cut out of one of them, which is super weird. However, on May 28, a large search, including police, search and rescue, and 60 volunteers go to search the area. This area was well known as Crosby's Clearing. And it started at the top of Torero Creek Road. After three days, it became the largest grid search ever conducted in New Zealand. I feel like every single case we cover says that. They did not find anything, but believed that the couple would not have survived if they were out there. The family, of course, disagreed and thought that the couple could have survived and were well-equipped. But remember, they don't have... We don't know if they have their belongings. Right. We don't know if they have their backpacks. We don't know what they do have. Now, police were working on trying to figure out how the couple's car could have ended up in Auckland. They discovered that the car was first spotted by a local man on the 9th of April. Right? So that's, what, two days after they were due home? Him and a group of friends were in the area around midday. And by 4 p.m., the car was still there. So it was basically there for at least that entire day that they were there. One of the reasons that they remembered the car is that it had a for sale sign on it. And they actually walked over to check it out. Now, a lot of tourists do this when they're doing road trips. They will buy a cheap car and then sell it near the end of their trip. So the fact that the car has a for sale sign on it isn't crazy. 
When he looked into the car, he was surprised to see that it was full of belongings, including a camera, backpacks in plain view, and a bunch of other camping gear. So if Heidi and Urban had gone into the woods, they did it without their gear. He also said that the windows were rolled all the way up and that the car seemed secure. But we're unclear if he actually checked like the door handle to see if it was locked or not. Okay. Now, this area where they saw the car was about 118 kilometers from where the car is later found. So one possible setting that does come up is two hikers out near Crosby's Clearing had come across a campsite on April 9th. So two days after they go missing and the same day that the group finds the car. Yeah, two days after they're meant to be home. Right. So at this point, they've been missing for longer than two days would be my guess. Yeah. In the campsite, they came across this couple and... The man is described as early 30s, part Maori, which is the indigenous people in New Zealand. New Zealand. Yeah. Outdoor type with a strong build and possibly a mustache. So the woman sat on a tree stump nearby and they describe her as being out of place. She was blonde, European, mid to late 20s, and she also had makeup and nail polish on, which they thought was weird. They thought that she looked tall and was wearing a green poncho with tan hiking boots. Right, and the reason they think that she looks tall but they're not sure is that she doesn't actually stand up during their encounter and she also does not speak one word during the encounter. Hmm. So they chatted with the guy for a bit and he said that they were from Auckland and that he had seemed very familiar with the area. Police asked the couple to come forward, but they never did. The men did not think that it was Heidi that they had seen. And the man for sure was not Urban. Okay, so we have this sighting in the woods near the area where the couple may have been. They're pretty sure it's not Heidi. They're pretty sure it's not Urban. But we will come back to this later. Now, there is another sighting of the car. A couple of tourists also recognized the vehicle, and they had accepted a ride from a man driving the car that they had met at a local hostel called the Sunkissed Lodge. And this was on April 10. So, one day after the couple sighted in the area, three days after the car or one day after the car was seen with the couple's belongings in it, right? They said that the man's name was Pat Kelly and that he offered to take them on a day trip if they paid for his petrol and his accommodations at the lodge that night. He told them that he had borrowed the car from his cousin. They saw that there was camping gear in the car and a telescopic fishing rod in the back seat. Now, police had heard the name Pat Kelly before, and this was kind of from a strange reporting. Back in mid-March, a hunter who had been hunting at Crosby's Clearing had come across a tent, and when he looked inside the tent, he found a note that said, 
if anybody finds this tent, please don't vandalize. It's all I've got. And the note was signed Pat Kelly, which means that he was possibly in the area where the couple had been before they had been there. The police had previously visited this hostel when they received a tip that the couple's car had been spotted there. But when they went to the lodge, the manager didn't recognize the couple and the tip was dismissed. So police now go back to the hostel. But it wasn't the right. couple. It was just the car. Because and whoever Pat Kelly, this Pat Kelly person is mm-hmm. has the car. So they find out that Pat Kelly had stayed there and that he used a telephone number when he registered. But when they ran the number, it came back to an address registered to a man named David Tomaharry. And David is currently in prison at this time when they're following up this tip. David Wayne Tomahari, he had an impressive handlebar mustache. That's the first description of him. Yeah, apparently it was very distinct. And remember, we have the report of the hunters that came across the couple in the woods who thought that the man might have had a mustache. Might have. Might have. Okay. So, in 1972, he had been convicted for manslaughter when he killed a stripper in Auckland, which is where the man said that he was from. The couple sighting. Mm-hmm. The man that might have the mustache. Her name was Mary Barcham, and he killed her by hitting her over the head with an air rifle. Lovely. And he was 19 at the time, and he served two years. Two years two years yep how was this manslaughter yeah how was this not murder this is manslaughter how is this not just straight up murder yeah he's 19 he hits a stripper over the head with an air rifle and he gets manslaughter i think because he hadn't intended to kill her but i feel like what was his intention to knock her out i don't know It doesn't really matter. I feel like here, your intention doesn't matter. If you are committing a crime and you kill somebody, it's not manslaughter anymore. Well, I just don't know how that could be manslaughter. Like, that sounds like straight up murder to me. It is. All right. So, in 1985 and 1986, he committed two home invasion rapes and was apprehended and he confessed. And one of the women was 62 years old. Okay, so despite confessing to one of these crimes, he was given bail. But while he was on bail, he decided to take off. Shocking. Shocking. Why was he on bail? Because he's he, committed manslaughter, and then he has... He already served his time for that, so now he's in trouble for these two home invasions. He hasn't not, gone to trial yet, though. Home invasion rapes. Yeah. He also didn't just break into these people home he raped these women in these yeah. homes and so one he, of them was 62 you broke into grandma's home stop but while he's waiting to be tried for this crime he is released on bail he would spend three years hiding out in the Coromandel area but on May 24th of 1989 he would be spotted in Auckland and arrested. Right. So now we're in May and 
Urban and Heidi went missing in early May. And now by the end of May, he has been spotted and, and arrested. arrested on his previous charges or for his previous charges of having home skipping invasion bail. Rights. Yep. All of that. Now, police do take Tamahare's picture to the group who had originally. The ones who ran into the couple at the campsite. The hunters, right, who ran into the, the two at the campsite. And they were unable to positively identify him from this photo lineup. So we're still not sure if he was the one at the campsite with the woman. So police go to visit Tamahari in jail. And he actually admits to stealing the couple's car. And gear. And their gear. But he claimed that he had nothing to do with their disappearance. He said that he had stolen the car from Teruro Creek Road and pawned the couple's belongings. He said that he broke into the car using a piece of wire and said that the driver's side window was open a crack. He said that he found two sets of keys inside the car. He also said that the tailpipe was still warm when he stole the car. Brave. He figured that he could drive the car for a couple of days without risk, and he said that he dumped the car at the rail station in Auckland, leaving the keys inside the glove box, which is probably how the four men, or boys, whoever they were, ended up with the car before it was abandoned. He said that he then went and pawned some of the gear, using the ownership papers as ID. Like the ownership papers of the car, I think. He said that he dumped the passports into the trash outside of the pawn shop. So he's saying that he thought they went camping into the woods and that he had a little bit of time, but they would have had to have done this without their gear. And also, it is later confirmed that the car only had one key. Although he's saying both keys were in the car. Also, the group that had seen the car with the for sale sign on it said that all the windows had been closed. So basically, they think that he's lying, but after three hours, all they have is a stolen possession charge. And he actually thanks the police officers and shakes their hands. Cool. So police would go to the house where his partner, ex-partner? Yeah, it's not really clear if they're together anymore. She says that they're not, but he seems to still crash there from time to time and things like that. They have two kids together. Okay. The couple's two sons were 15 and 10 at the time. So, and while there, the police would see a jacket that looked to match a jacket missing from Urban's belongings. David had given the jacket to one of his sons. Yeah, and the tags on the inside of the jacket had actually been cut out. A search was done at the Sunkissed Lodge, and they found a toiletry bag in the corner of one of the cupboards that had toothbrushes and a prescription with Heidi Pakinen's name on it. So it looks like their toiletry bag ended up at the lodge and was left there. So on July 29th, another search would take place in the Crosby Creek area, and this search would yield nothing. 
And once the search concluded, one of the searches actually headed up a track to continue searching on his own. About three meters off the trail, he found a navy blue and white jacket. And the jacket was neatly folded. The jacket was confirmed to belong to Heidi. And the fact that previous searches hadn't found it was strange. I don't know how strange that is. Authorities thought it was strange that it hadn't been found. So they're thinking, was it recently left here? Yeah. Another search turned up a wallet that was presumed to be Heidi's and a water-damaged photo of Urban and the Pakenen family. So I would say it's safe to say this is her wallet. And there was a partial fingerprint on it. There was no blood on anything. So in December, a green and yellow tent with labels on it saying made in Sweden would be found in an old barn on Tororo Creek Road. Which is the road that the car was initially spotted on. And this barn was searched by police in June and no tent was there. But Tama Harry had been in custody since May. So if the tent did belong to the couple, he couldn't have put it in there. The tent had also been cut open with a knife and there was a very small blood stain on the tent that could have been from something minor. Yeah. In October 1990, the trial of Tama Harry would commence, and three inmates would testify against Tama Harry. If any of you know me at all, you know that I absolutely, absolutely hate that prison, cellmate, whatever testimony can be given in court. I don't like it. It's been found to be very, very unreliable over and over and over again. But witness A would testify that Tama Harry had confessed to him while they were in adjoining cells at Mount Eden Prison in Auckland. Tama Harry would tell him that he had raped and killed both Heidi and Urban and that he had to kill them because he couldn't take the risk of being identified. This confession, if true, was made within 24 hours of Tama Harry being charged with the theft of the Subaru, and to a man with whom Tama Harry seemed to have no prior connection to. This confession also indicates, according to Witness A, that Tama Harry did not act alone, and that he was with his mates when he encountered Heidi and Urban by chance in the bush. It's worth noting that police have never suggested Tomahari was anything but a lone offender. But yet they believed this jailhouse confession, but others had their doubts. Then we have Witness B who said that Tomahari told him they would never find the bodies because he had dismembered them. We also have Witness C, who really went to town. Not only did he report that Tama Harry had confessed to raping and killing Heidi and Urban, he went to some descriptive length about what he had been told. He had killed Urban with a lump of wood to the head. He had strangled Heidi in a tent. He had stolen the tent from a farm shed and returned it afterwards. Further, Witness C also told court that Tamahari had confided 
that he had nearly been interrupted by two people who came across him when he had Heidi prisoner and was setting up a tent in a clearing. Which, hmm. Witnessy also indicated that Tamahari had confessed to stealing a small motorized dinghy and disposing of the bodies at sea. How are you feeling about these jailhouse confessions, Madison? I'd like to know what kind of news these prisoners are um, can see. What kind of what? What kind of news? What kind of outlets they have access mm, to? Because mm-hmm. I'm wondering. Cause like what information they might have access to? Yeah, because the third confession sounds great to me. I mean, sounds good because they almost got interrupted by two people. Right. The tent in the clearing. Well, here's what I would want to know or see is I would like to see police's interview with this jailhouse snitch and I would like to know what information he may have been given by police or what information he may have access to. Yeah, no kidding. Mm-hmm. Uh, the prosecution's theory was that Tamahari had encountered the couple, lured them into the bush near Crosby's clearing under the pretense of showing them around or something like that. He then raped Urban before bludgeoning him to death and then held Heidi captive for several days while forcing her to wear makeup and continuously raping her. Those hunters do come to the courthouse at some point and they see Tamahari in person and at that point they are sure that it's the man they saw in the woods. Shit. But still, who knows? Yeah, true, true, true. They also showed evidence that a watch that Tamahari had given to his son actually belonged to Urban. And then remember that he has the jacket too. Right. That matches the description that also... And he was driving the couple's car. Yes. Yeah. So the jury deliberated for two days and struggled to come to a conclusion. But on day three, they would come to a decision that Tamahari was guilty and sentenced to life with a non-parole period of 10 years 10 years so they're saying he's guilty of killing this couple but the minimum his minimum sentence is 10 years what country is this taking this court new zealand is in new zealand Mm -hmm. on october 11 of 1991 10 months after the conviction of tamahari some pig hunters found the body of urban He was 73 kilometers from where police thought the murders had occurred. He was in a deeply wooded area. Remnants of his t-shirt and red shorts were still visible, and knife marks were found on his clothing and on his bones, indicating that he had been stabbed multiple times and his throat had been cut deeply enough that it left a mark on his spinal vertebrae. It was thought that he had been killed in the area that he was found and he was still wearing the ring with Heidi's name engraved on it. Also, he was still wearing his watch. And he was not dismembered. So the watch that Talamari had allegedly given to his son was not the watch of Urban. Mm-mm. And the witness jailhouse snitch, I don't even think we can call them a witness, who had claimed that Tamahari had dismembered the couple, 
is obviously not true either. Or that he had dumped their bodies in the sea? Correct. Also not true. So in May of 1992, Tamahari appealed his conviction, which was rejected on the basis that the Crown had provided convincing circumstantial evidence. Right, so his appeal is rejected because they are saying that the Crown did provide convincing circumstantial evidence. I would say that the circumstantial evidence... I don't think his appeal should have been denied. I don't know. I think without the watch um, and without the witnesses, the jailhouse snitches, I think they would have had trouble convicting him in the first place. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. On August 25 of 1995, one of the prosecution's witnesses swore an affidavit attempting to recant evidence and made allegations against the police of corruption and perverting the course of justice. He also claimed that he had been offered something like $100,000 to give his statement, basically saying that his statement was false. The affidavit was released to Tamahari's counsel, and on July 16 of 1996, a member of parliament requested an inquiry into the case at his behest. The IPCA conducted an investigation where they found the police were not guilty of any misconduct. So they couldn't verify that they had been, that the witness had been bribed or coerced in any way. Yeah, it's just a lot of he said, she said going on mm -hmm. here. In 1997, Tamahari made an application to the United Nations Human Rights Committee, but they found his claims unsubstantiated. In 2015, Tamahari is released on parole after serving 20 years in prison. He has never admitted to killing Urban or Heidi. So, uh, do I think he did it? Yes. Do I think that there's evidence to say he did it? No. Do I think that he shouldn't be in prison? No. No. <laughs> Is he a good guy? No. No. In August of 2017, Witness C is actually found guilty of perjury in the trial of Tamahari and was convicted. I guess that's what you get for coming forward saying that you lied in court. Yeah. There was some troubles with the investigator in the case indicating allegations of him potentially planting evidence in another case. And I read somewhere that he was actually called the gardener because he was so known for planting evidence. Now, remember the bags of clothing that were found? They were actually quite a ways away from where the body of Urban is found. So we still don't know if those clothes belong to Heidi or if the luggage tag ever existed that had her name on it. Yeah. A couple other issues. So not one other witness saw Urban, Heidi, or Tamahari near Crosby's clearing except the hunters that claimed to have come across Tamahari and Heidi in the clearing, right? We obviously know that the watch didn't belong to Urban, but we find out that it's not even the same brand of watch. We have the tent that was found in the barn that had been searched. 
We have the clothes that were found in the wood. We have the fingerprint on the wallet that does not match Tamahari, by the way. And then we have all these prison snitches that are giving us multiple versions of the story. And we find out that one of them was located on the far other side of the prison and was unlikely to have ever had contact with Tamahari. Another had psychiatric issues at the time that Tamahari supposedly confessed to him. Again, why are we allowing jailhouse snitches into trials still? I do not understand. And then we still have Heidi, who has not been found yet. Honestly, she's either still out there with him, or she's somewhere who knows fucking where. Because, like, out of one of them, if they were going to kill one, take the other one, it would have been Heidi that they took. So I would guess that Heidi is probably within walking distance of where... Urban was found. Yeah, that or she's like on the other side of the country somewhere. Could be. I mean, she could be between where the car was and where he ended up at the hostel where he's seen alone. He could have dumped her along the way if he is the one that took her. Right? So he could have killed Urban in the woods and then taken Heidi with him. Or he could have spent some time in the woods with her before killing her. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. But Tomahari, is he even the killer? We don't know. Yeah, I don't even know if he is. I do. I do kind of think it's likely, but we're going to go over all of those theories in our bunker talk. So um, if you're not on Patreon, come check us out on Patreon. We do a bunker talk at the end of every episode where we give our biased opinion, and Maddie swears a lot on every case. Um, And sometimes we get sidetracked too, but that's fine. Also, speaking of Patreons, we have some new ones. Hmm. We have Krista McDonald. Hi, Krista. Welcome to Patreon. We also have Lenny the Ginge. Maybe Redhead? I don't know. Hi, Lenny. Do you like that I stop and look at you and let you read this one? No, it's fucking rude. Give it your best shot. Ariana... I don't know. Acido? Acido. It's not even that hard. You're being very dramatic. (laughs) I'm being very dramatic. Hi, Ariana. Welcome to Patreon. We have Lauren up. Yeah. Hi, Lauren. Welcome to Patreon. We also have Sahira Morales. Hi, Sahira. I hope I am pronouncing that right. I have a feeling I might not be. Morales is the new Spider-Man's last name. Really? Yeah. Are you related to the new Spider-Man? No? Maybe? Let us know. <laughs> um, we have Matthew Hutchinson. Hi, Matthew. Welcome to Patreon. And Alexis Mammer. Hi, Alexis. Welcome to Patreon. All right. Thank you, everybody who supports us on Patreon. We really, really appreciate you guys. You're amazing. Um, we also appreciate the rest of our listeners. You guys are great. Of course. Go and check us out on social media if you haven't done that. We post a ton of our hiking stuff on there as well. Um, We also have our last two backpacking trips on our Patreon that we recently posted as well. So, yeah. So if you want to feel better about yourself, how you hike, or the amount, just 
go look at the stuff that we post on there because Maddie looks like an 80 year old woman in some of the pictures. She's just upset because I have better hiking gear than she does. When she says hiking gear, she means bucket hats and oh my God, cargo pants. I literally haven't even worn a bucket <laughs> hat because my bucket hat got stolen from me and I haven't had it for months. You were literally wearing it in the video that we just posted. One of our hiking videos, you were wearing yeah, a bucket hat. It wasn't my bucket hat. Oh. It's like my camping hat. Oh, still. The bucket hat is like the one that has like the little rim on it that like kind of oh. hangs in your face. That's what a bucket they hat is. They all look like a bucket hat to me. I don't know. Does it look like know. a bucket? All right. Thanks for tuning in. I don't think the hat, oh my, my brown hat looks like a bucket. All right. Thanks for tuning in, you guys. Wouldn't hold a lot of liquid kind of And we will productive. talk to you soon. Or we will talk to you in just a few minutes over on our Bucker Talk. Thanks, guys. Now, now, what is this popcorn mess that Cordy left? So, we have this microwavable popcorn thing. It's like this little glass. It has plastic handle. And you put, like, the popcorn things in it. And then you put butter on the, like, the grate on top of it. And you put it in the microwave. Okay. And you microwave it. And it makes popcorn like a machine does. Okay. And um, it's like a pain in the fucking ass to clean because it's just mm. completely covered in butter because it's a popcorn maker it gets fucking covered in butter right especially if you are 13 years old and you don't even bother rinsing it yes it was not rinsed it was okay. fully just sitting mm-hmm. on top of all the other dishes in the sink completely covered in butter so i asked her to clean it up and I have a feeling that it's still sitting there. Well, you know what sat on my stovetop for six days last week? The cookie pan in the pot that she did. The didn't fucking clean. cookie pan in the pot. I'm like, I refuse to clean it. I um, refuse. No. And even Phoenix was like, Mom, can I please just clean it? Like, it's still sitting there. And I was like, No. Cordelia will clean her fucking dishes. No, dude, it was at the point where you should have seen the mess she left dude. the day that when you guys were gone. I came home and was like, what the fuck happened in here? Yeah, so we went on a road trip to uh, Idaho and we went and we went to Silverwood, which is like a theme park there. And then we went to a lookout tower and we spent the night at the lookout tower. Super, super cool. Super fun. I posted a video of it. It's really cool. But while we were gone, and mind you, we were only gone for three days. But while we were gone, an ant infestation started in one of the bedrooms, and there were fucking dishes everywhere. To preference this. Nope. Preface this. Preface. Preface this. Fuck. Preface this. (laughs) To preface this. It doesn't sound right coming out of your mouth. Leave me alone. Preface. So, preface. 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 To preface this. <laughs> if you didn't hear, I think. Doesn't come we out talked, of my mouth correctly. We talked about this on one of our previous episodes. Yeah, if it just. Or maybe Bunker Talk. I don't even something. know. Um, I told. This is the 13 year old. Cordelia. Who's making the yeah. mess. Yeah. I told her to clean up She's the bedroom. Disgusting. <laughs> she spilt popcorn on the floor. I told her no. like a hundred times to clean it up. That's where the ant infestation happened. Um, I walk in to open the door, and there's just 
ants swarming all of the little popcorn kernels that are on the floor. It was terrifying. Which I had to beg her for like three hours to clean up all the ant carcasses, Fucking by the way. Sick. Um, the cookie pan yeah. was created in the morning. Me and, me and Hayden had to leave for work in the morning. And it was created before my dad picked them up mm-hmm. in the afternoon. So she'd created all that mess. Yeah. So just basically, in the basically, she usually has until her dad gets here on his days to clean up all messes. And when we know she's going to her dad's house, when it, we know it's her dad's weekend, Maddie and I are both like, Cordy, you have to clean that up. Because I <sighs> don't want to clean up her fucking mess. Well, nor do I want to clean up her fucking mess. And Maddie doesn't want me to murder her, so she's, like, trying to get her to clean it up. It doesn't work very well. I don't know how she's actually, like, biologically related to me. I don't I understand. I just hate her. I know. I know. I know. I don't I'm understand. Do it. I know. And I'm like, <sighs> you say you know, but you're you fucking never not going to do it. You're a liar. <laughs> anyway. Also, the mess that you had to leave on your counter for, like, six days is literally... Not even a quarter of the mess that was made in that kitchen. I believe it. I know. Not even. I know. Ugh. Also show evidence that a watch of Tal- that a watch Talamari had given to his son. Actually- Talamari. What did I say? Talamari. Talamari. What's his name? Talamari. Talamari. They also showed evidence that a watch Talamari gave. Talamari. Talamari. A watch that Tomahari had given to his son actually belonged to Urban. 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 Oh my actually gosh, say belonged- that again. Fuck! So, they also showed evidence that a watch that Tomahari... Tomahari. 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 